<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump says shutting down the government would be a great campaign issue. Bring it on, baby. Bring it on. Hey, what do you say, folks? It's the second day of August 2018. Here we go. Thursday, August 2. Great to see you. The Bill Press Show coming at you live uh, all across this great land of ours from uh, Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And uh, where the uh, House is out of session, the Senate is in session, and the President at the White House stirring things up. Uh, a rare White House briefing yesterday by Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, I was off uh, visiting with Larry King, so couldn't make it. Uh, but there was a lot going on there, and we will bring you up to date on the big stories of the day. Second day of the uh, Paul Manafort trial in the so-called rocket docket in uh, Alexandria, uh, went through several witnesses and uh, Robert Mueller and the prosecutors building a pretty strong case against Robert Mueller for living the high lifestyle, making millions and millions and millions of dollars off Ukrainian politicians and secreting that money away uh, in offshore banks so he didn't have to pay taxes on it. And President Obama jumping back into the uh, political ring with the endorsements of 81 Democrats uh, for various offices all across the country. Who's not on the list? We'll talk about that. And look forward to hearing from you, your comments on all the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, be part of the program. Be part of the conversation. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll get right to it, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Oh, no, not again. Chipotle is having a problem oh, with no. food safety. An Ohio Health Department oh, has closed down a Chipotle in Delaware County because 368 people were sickened after eating at this 
particular oh, no. Chipotle oh. again. Now, remember back it was back in 2015 that they had a major, yeah. major yeah. problem. In fact, there were there was at least one person that died as a direct result of eating at Chipotle. They had to close several of the of the oh. stores across 11 states. Yeah. But now this time it's in Ohio. Uh, again, 368 people are sick. Concerns of foodborne illnesses similar to the same ones that plagued Chipotle back in 2015. Yeah, you know, I just saw a story recently where Chipotle was putting a lot of money into rebranding yeah. and the whole thing being part of a, like a Chipotle lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, I will say they rebounded after 2015 yeah, in a way that I did not expect them to rebound, right. but this but, would hmm. looks like it could be a real problem for them. Hey, are you getting enough free time, Bill? You gotta no. check your calendar. Check your calendar. Make sure you've got free time scheduled. That's the, sort of the way that a lot of people do it. Is they schedule time to just I'm gonna unplug. I'm gonna do whatever. Well, there's a new study that says that is actually the wrong thing to do. A paper published in the journal Current Opinion in Psychology says that if you want to get the most out of free time, make it spontaneous. So like oh, yeah, in today's day and age, and I'm totally guilty of this, right? Like from the between the hours of, of three and five, let's say, I'm not going to watch TV. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to schedule this time. But according to this paper, it really just puts another thing, like another imprint on your brain of just like, oh, this is something else I have to do. So you yeah. feel the pressure of having to perform your free time. <laughs> So what you should do when you're like on your way to work and you're in the metro on the subway or you're in the car on the way to work, say, oh, screw it. I'm just going to take off. That's certainly spontaneous. That's spontaneous. Yes, you do not yeah. want to yeah. schedule And then tell your boss, that what's this magazine? That's what they told me to do. Yeah, yeah I'm just doing what they told me to do. Yeah. So, look, bottom line, you need. it's important to have that free time, especially today, these days. Just make it a little more spontaneous. That's all. Uh, either way, take it. Right. Either way to it. That, that, it. that is what's important. Need to relax a little bit. This is the Bill Press Show. Oh, yeah. Donald Trump says, poor Paul Manafort. He's been treated worse. Well, nobody's been treated that bad since Al Capone. <laughs> How do you like being compared to Al Capone? <laughs> what, one of his greatest tweets. One of Donald Trump's greatest tweets. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, I guess maybe, uh, maybe it could have been worse. I don't know. Maybe it could have compared him to Charles Manson. Uh, <laughs> but what do you say? With that, oh. With that, we start the Bill Press Show today. Hello, everybody. Great to see you. It's Thursday, Thursday, August the 2nd. Uh, this is the Bill Press Show, and uh, we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., as always, right here uh, in the uh, capital of the free world and right in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building and about five metro stops away from the White House with all the news of the day, wherever it's happening, either here in Washington uh, where there's always news, or around the country, around the globe. We'll bring it to you uh, any way we can, online, on YouTube, youtube.com, slash The Bill Press Show, and getting close to the weekend. Don't forget, if you haven't already done so, sign up for our podcast. Go to the podcast, billpressshow.com. Check on the podcast and sign up 
so you get the special podcast over the weekend. And also, uh, we're joining you on Free Speech TV, of course, and all over the Chicago area, city of Chicago and the great suburbs of Chicago, uh, on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago statewide in Indiana, pardon me, on Indiana Talks. And uh, we update you on the uh, most important and the running story of the week. I did take time yesterday uh, to watch the video of a Denver, Denver Ring, Ringelman. Ringelman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, uh, oh, Ringelman. I'm so glad that we're still talking about in, this. In Virginia's 5th Congressional District. Yes, yeah. he is the uh, Bigfoot erotica guy. Yeah. He says he's a skeptic, uh, but he's not much of a skeptic. He took <laughs> his wife for their 15th wedding anniversary on a Bigfoot hunt. Is that yes. amazing? Yeah, yeah. What says romance more than going out and hunting for a skunk ape? And he did put up <laughs> these uh, little images of uh, Bigfoot with the big one big member uh, blocked out. Uh, that's why we get to the Bigfoot erotica on his uh, webpage. <laughs> so I saw in this, Peter, I didn't realize how serious it is. He, uh, uh, <laughs> in that video, because you've watched it too, right? He says oh, yeah. there are diff- four different kinds of Bigfoot believers. That's right. There are the biological ones who believe it really does exist. There's the mystical crowd. Uh, it's just a myth, sort of, but but like still real. Yeah. The magic man, they have magic powers, or the interstellar theory. Right. That they came you know, down from... God knows what planet, right? I, I have learned either more. Either way, they're out there. Yeah. Sasquatch. Sasquatch. I've learned more about Bigfoot in this past week than I ever, ever wanted to know. I'm just amazed that Donald Trump hasn't tweeted about it yet. <laughs> Folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Folks, there are I those. Just, can you imagine? Folks, there are those who say Bigfoot is not real. Right. Yes. Folks, I believe in the mysticism of Bigfoot <laughs> and his giant member. Yes. And so, um, but uh, the, the, he said that the, the purpose of his campaign, his goal in life is to, he says, I'm out here fighting for the freedom to believe in Bigfoot. Thank God somebody is. You know? Yeah, amen. That's why we need, yep. Yeah, God why. bless America. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie Coburn's his opponent. If you're anywhere near Virginia's 5th District, please vote for her. Can you please Im- vote for her? Can you imagine? I don't care if she's a Democrat or Republican. She happens to be a Democrat, but please vote for her. Can you imagine going to your spouse <laughs> on your fifteenth wedding anniversary, saying, "Good news, sweetie, get we're going somewhere real special. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go hunting for Bigfoot." He didn't tell her that. He said, "We're going somewhere real special." <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it Paris? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, but we laugh. <laughs> In, uh, traffic on the internet for Bigfoot is up 8,000%. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Up 8,000%. Yeah. Uh, so that's one of the big stories that left over from yesterday. Uh, <clears throat> we'll get some of the other big stories today. But another one left over from yesterday. Uh, this is a, this is very, very serious. Um, uh, yesterday, it turns out that coast to coast, millions of Americans were foiled in their attempts to purchase groceries after failing to get the proper issued ID cards. Yep. Uh, all over the country, there's a woman, a, ca- a supermarket cashier from Fresno, who said, given that Americans have been required to show ID to buy food for years, it's amazing that people still try to get away with this. <laughs> she said, she gets people who say like, oh, I left my food ID in my other pants, or some other BS like that. that no, hate that happens. 
In Cleveland, Ohio, yesterday was a man attempting to buy a loaf of bread, two yogurts, and a bottle of Fanta. He tried to use another consumer's, another customer's food ID. You got to be careful. They nabbed him. Yeah, um, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, they got him. Uh, the manager of the security guy who's the head of that store in Cleveland said, I can't tell you how many fake food IDs we see here uh, <laughs> on a daily basis. And he said, the food IDs are like, they're pretty good, but we need to go further. We need a waiting period and background <laughs> checks now, before you get your Perfect. Uh, before you get your government I- ID. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so somebody else took to, there was a whole Twitter storm yesterday about renaming grocery stores for Donald Trump, which I thought was oh, great. Oh, wow. Like- not Trader Joe's, but Trader. Oh, I see. Trader Joe's. Yeah, Trader, yeah. yeah. Uh, how about not Food Lion, but Food Lion? Okay. L-Y-I-N. Yeah. Donald Trump's Food. That's his That's store. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Or uh, I like this one. There's the A&P. How about the A&P tape? Oh, Ooh. my God. Oh, <laughs> so, no. Well, we could really get into that. but <laughs> Man. Uh, it actually, uh, you laugh, it came up at the briefing yesterday. And so, all right, here you go. You got to say, you know, it's tough. It's tough defending Donald Trump. It's tough explaining his tweets. They really twisted themselves inside out uh, yesterday uh, when it comes to tweets. First of all, (laughs) uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders says, well, yes, of course you need an ID when you buy groceries, like certain kinds of groceries. Here she is. Certainly, if you if you go to a grocery store and you buy beer and wine, you're certainly going to show your ID. Is I don't that think that... Who doesn't drink meth? Uh, he's not saying every time he went in. He said, when you go to the grocery store. In other words, he's saying he was talking about beer and alcohol. No, he wasn't. He's, uh, no, he wasn't. <laughs> We played that clip yesterday. He said, groceries, you need a voter ID. We need voter ID. What's wrong with voter ID? Because he said, "You, there's nothing. it's just like when you buy groceries, you need an ID. You know, if you go out and you want to buy groceries, you need a picture on a card. You need ID. You go out and you want to buy anything. You need ID and yeah. you need your picture. Anything. Anything. Tomatoes, potatoes, yogurt, bread. You need you need the ID. No, you don't. The question asked at the briefing was, uh, when's the last time Donald Trump was at a grocery store? And it is ironic that she would say, well, he was just talking about alcohol because he doesn't drink, so he doesn't buy uh, alcohol. He doesn't know. You know, that's a time. that's a time when you just should say, yeah, the president got it wrong. Right. It's no big deal. Just say, right. yeah, he was joking around and, you know, in the, the spur of the moment, off the cuff, he just, yeah. Instead of trying to, you know, come up with some BS excuse you like know, that. You it, know, it, like Barack Obama, when he was president, uh, early, early on in his presidency, he made a mistake about how many states he had visited and he says i've been to 57 states yeah oh yeah yeah i remember that and i still i still hear republicans bring that up about what a dumb president y'all had because he thought there were 57 states and obama came out and he was just like i misspoke guys clearly i don't think there are 57 states if donald trump was to talk about the 57 states 
would you automatically assume that it was just a slip up, or would you think that he actually thought there were fifty-seven states? Actually, in his case, yeah. I'm not so sure. That's right. In his I'm case, not so I think sure. He does think there are fifty-seven states? Yeah. Yeah. He still hasn't gotten the electoral count vote. Right. <laughs> right. On a more serious matter, Donald Trump was out there tweeting yesterday. Now, of course, this is all related to the Paul Manafort trial, uh, which we'll get to in just a minute. But uh, Donald Trump, uh, in a, on a tear, on a tear about what's happening with Manafort, the first manifestation we've seen, the public presence uh, of uh, the case that Paul Manafort has built against, uh, I mean, that Robert Mueller has built against Paul Manafort, uh, which sent Donald Trump to Twitter, to Twitter, insisting and demanding that Jeff Sessions shut down uh, the Robert Mueller investigation. He tweeted this, quote, Attorney General Jeff Sessions should stop this rigged witch hunt right now before it continues to stain our country any further. Okay. Now, there's so much wrong with that. Uh, First of all, does he forget? Jeff Sessions, how can he forget, has recused himself from anything to do with the Mueller investigation. So to fire or shut down the investigation, <laughs> Jeff Sessions would have to unrecuse himself. I don't know even how you do that, right? But that would be certainly a big flip-flop, uh, which would uh, create a lot of uh, uh, controversy, to say the least. Um, and the other thing is, There is, Jeff Sessions is the Attorney General of the United States. The Department of Justice is conducting a criminal investigation. Who's the subject of the criminal investigation? Donald Trump and his campaign team on two possible charges, possible charges of collusion and possible charge of obstruction of justice. Now, wait a minute. When the president orders the Attorney General to shut down a criminal investigation of himself. How, how much further do you have to look for obstruction of justice? As Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut pointed out, I mean, you know, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, maybe it is. This tweet strikes me as very close to obstruction of justice. If it isn't a criminal act itself, it's certainly evidence of intent to obstruct justice. Uh, yeah, at plain least, as day, plain as day. At least it's intent, you know. And over the overriding question, I think, is: you tell me what you think, right, on Twitter at BP Show. Why this tweet? What's behind this tweet? Is it is Donald Trump starting to feel the heat? That he sees what's going on in Alexandria, and no matter how much he tries to defend Paul Manafort, does, is he saying, "Geez, these guys are getting close," and or maybe? These guys are good. These guys are serious. This ain't going away. Uh, And so once again, calling it a witch hunt. And clearly, this is to me as clear a case of obstruction of justice as when Donald Trump fired James Comey. It was the same thing. Criminal investigation being conducted by the FBI into the president of the United States and people around him. The president asked Comey to end the investigation Lay off on Michael Flynn. Comey refuses. Donald Trump fires him. Obstruction of justice, right? And of course, if Donald Trump wanted to, he could fire Jeff Sessions. He won't fire Jeff Sessions, but because he knows that would be that 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 would be what it would take. Maybe I, I must add, maybe 
That's to, a big maybe, but but, but but Jeff Sessions is one of those guys that is such he's such a part of the Republican fabric, right? That yeah. these Republican lawmakers, if one of their own, one of their boys, goes down, but that might you, actually piss them off. All right, if you fire the FBI director because there's an investigation, and then then you fire the uh, your own attorney general because they're investigating you, uh, it's hard to it's it's really hard to survive that. I think would be for Donald Trump. That's why he won't do it, right? Uh, but again, this was all triggered by what's happening in the uh, uh, in the Matterport uh, in um, uh, case over uh, day two yesterday in Alexandria, Virginia. I was there last night for dinner. I walked by the courthouse. Whoa, pretty exciting. Uh, they call it the rocket docket because this judge there, T.S. Eliot the third, Ellis rather the third, um, is a no nonsense kind of guy. He's seventy eight years old. He just keeps moving along and uh, won't let them say oligarch. He thinks that's a Negative connotation. He's got negative connotations with it, so don't use that word anymore. And uh, he keeps moving. I say, moving them along. Don't waste your time. Um, don't roll your eyes. You know, and make these. The, the, uh, he's chastised both cases for using facial expressions to try to impress the jury. But they have come out with. I got to tell you, it's a pretty solid case. And the case they're building is, I think, with a lot of evidence, thirty-five witnesses, and we've heard from a lot so far, that uh, Paul Manafort made just tons of money, tens of millions of dollars off these Ukrainian politicians who were tied to Russia. They were Putin's puppets, if you will, uh, in in Ukraine. Uh, He was making all this money, and he parked this money in offshore accounts uh, so that and, and used it and spent it on his extravagant, to fuel his extravagant lifestyle and didn't pay taxes on a great, great deal of it. Um, the defense, Robert Mueller's, def- I mean, Paul Manafort's defense is that his assistant, his deputy, Rick Gates, forced him to do this. So Paul Manafort didn't want to buy all this stuff. It was Rick Gates who said, oh, we got to we've got to spend this money somehow so Poor we guy. don't pay taxes on don't it. Don't you hate that? And he also says he only put it in offshore accounts. Um, not in legitimate banks because uh, that's where the oligarchs wanted him to park his money. That, that's their defense. I mean, hello, I'm not an attorney, <laughs> but that's pretty weak. But, uh, you know, Manafort really, uh, he, so we, we talked yesterday a little bit. Among the things that he bought, the $15,000 ostrich jacket. Which uh, I've never paid more than ten thousand dollars for an for ostrich, ostrich jacket. jacket. Well, you yeah. probably get it at Men's Warehouse. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That's yeah. just where it shows. Right, uh, <laughs> or Nordstrom on the rack or whatever. <laughs> uh, a twenty-eight thousand dollar watch. I think it was a Patek watch. Uh, he went to this one store, Alan Couture, uh, for a couple of for suits or whatever sport coats. He spent. This is a fancy boutique on Fifth Avenue, I believe, or Madison Avenue in New York. He spent. $900,000 there. More than I ever spent at Macy's. I, I got to tell you that. Yeah. That's more than I've ever spent. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah. God hello. $900,000 uh, for suits and ties and shirts and stuff. Uh, he bought his daughter a house in Virginia uh, for $1.9 million. Hey, honey. Modest little place. Hey, honey, I made a little money, extra money this year. Yeah, I bought her a modest little $1.9 million. And then he spent. Three million dollars to renovate the house. This this is the lifestyle. What? Paul Manafort. Yeah. What? So 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 he's again, he's he's on trial for making all this money, 
hiding it away, blowing it away, and not paying taxes on it. And Donald Trump comes out and says, nobody has been treated this unfairly by the justice system since Al Capone. I mean, so here you get one of the one of the legendary biggest crooks in the country ever, right? The Chicago mobster Al Capone. And Donald Trump, number one, compares Paul Manafort to Al Capone. But number two, what... <laughs> How did what did they finally nab Al Capone for? For tax evasion. They nabbed him for doing the very same thing that they're after Paul Manafort on. So without knowing, I guess, what he's doing, Donald Trump basically, yeah, he identifies Paul Manafort. He's just like Al Capone. He's just crook. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Isn't that just amazing? <laughs> I'm just pulling up his tweet because I really want to read his yeah. tweet because it's so good. First of all, he 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 did tweet it one time, uh, and it had him and it had a misspelling, so he had to take it down and then and mm. then re, uh, tweet it again. No, wait, wait. Believe no. it or not, you're not. You're telling me Donald Trump actually misspelled something. Our very very smart president got something wrong. Uh, here it is. Looking back on history, who was treated worse, Alphonse Capone, <laughs> which is the best. Who has ever referred to him as Alphonse Capone? Alphonse Capone. Okay. Who was treated worse? Alphonse Capone, legendary mob boss, killer, and public enemy number one, or Paul Manafort, political operative, and Reagan Dole Darling, now serving now serving solitary confinement, uh, yeah, right. although yeah. convicted of nothing? Where is the Russian collusion? I mean- he has crafted some masterpieces. Oh yeah, on uh, Twitter. And let's remember this one is. Let's remember it was Paul Manafort who requested where he was being held. Right, right. Where he had a suite. He had a private shower. He had he had all the all the he had his computer. Yeah. He had a phone. He was conducting business from this private little facility that yeah. he asked for and yeah. was given because he asked for it. But by, by the way, the follow-up <laughs> tweet that he sent right out uh, right after he attacks who else? Army. Hillary Clinton. Uh he says, "We already have this is where he had the misspelling. We already have a smocking gun." He meant to write smoking oh. gun, he wrote smocking <laughs> gun about a campaign getting dirt on their opponent. It was Hillary Clinton. How is it okay for Hillary Clinton to proactively seek dirt from the Russians? But the Trump campaign met at the Russians' request and that is bad. And he quotes a piece from the Washington Post. Smocking gun. Smocking gun, yes. <laughs> and Alphonse Capone. Alphonse Capone. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, day number three today. And by the way, it looks like this thing is going to wrap up in less time than the three weeks uh, that they had forecast for the uh, for the Manafort trial. Uh, and again, those who read the uh, tea leaves of this whole case believe that if Paul Manafort is found guilty by the jury in Alexandria. Uh, he will then flip before his second trial, which is supposed to get underway here in Washington, D.C. in September. Uh, if that's the case, uh, that's even more trouble for uh, Donald Trump. And by the way, if that's the case, you know that Donald Trump will right away stop praising Paul Manafort, just like he stopped praising Paul Michael Cohen and he will start attacking Paul Manafort, and he will quickly, quickly throw him uh, under the bus. Washington Post out with an incredible story today. Uh, they've been keeping track. I've mentioned this before, that one of the 
the, the silver lining, if you will, on this dark cloud uh, called Donald Trump hanging over our heads uh, is that the Donald Trump has triggered, I believe, some of the best investigative journalism we've seen in this country, certainly since the days of Watergate and Carl Bernstein and Rob, uh, Bob Woodward. Uh, it shows again in the Washington Post front page this morning where they've been keeping track of, shall we call them misstatements, if we want to be kind, or shall we just say what they are? Lies on the part of Donald Trump since he's been president. Now, we know there were lots of lies when he was a candidate, okay? How about Donald Trump's lies as president? Well, two days ago, July 31st, was the 558th day of the Trump presidency. Washington Post keeping track every day. Uh, so far, that equals 4,000, he's been, he's uttered, 4,229 misstatements, or, again, Holy cow. lies, 4,229. Um, to put that into perspective, 978 of them have come, 978 in the last two months. Um, Man. Yeah, so... Total, 4,229. In year one, the Washington Post counted 2,140 lies. Six months later, he's almost doubled that number. So two thousand. He, he is like unfettered now. He was lying a lot during year one, but he was sort of holding back. Now, let loose. So he's doubled in the first six months of 2018, just about doubled what he did in the entire first year of his presidency. Yeah. Uh, and looking grief. looking at the first 100 days of uh, Donald Trump's presidency, he they clocked him at 4.9 lies a day. Uh, That's pretty impressive. Right. Today, 4,229 lies in his first 558 days. It works out to 7.6 a day. Lies a day. 7.6 lies a day from the President of the United States. Jesus, what that's are just, we living just like, that's blo- It blows my mind. It blows my mind. And the thing is, like, in today's day and age, especially with the uh, all the sort of rhetoric and hatred from the uh, uh, conservatives towards the media, the media has to be very, very, very careful about what they say. And when they put stuff out there, they say, like, this is a lie. That's not something that happens very often. It has happened very often, right? But you no, can just no. come right out and say it is what it is. It is yeah. a lie. Right, right. And what do you do about that? You've got to report it. You can't just have to. You can't just have to. You can't just repeat it as if it were true. You've got to point out it is not true. Yeah. So it leads me to the conclusion um, that there's one thing that's got to happen. Uh, and that is the name, title of my new book. Look at this. So I got the cover. Look at that. Oh, Look no that. way. So you watching on TV. Wait a minute. You wrote another book? <laughs> no, you know that. I right. Another book. Right. But this one comes out in September, but this is just the cover I just got. But anyhow, Congratulations. That's very cool. Cool looking cover. Yeah, that's Trump, really cool. M- Trump must go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump. 
and one to keep him. Oh, wow. We'll let you guess what the one to keep him Okay. Is. But anyway, I think it's a good-looking cover. No, it you? looks really good. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Congratulations, man. Uh, it's red, That's white, awesome. and blue. It's red, white, and blue. Patriotic. Nothing wrong with that. Right, man. right. Comes out in, in, uh, in, in September. And by the way, of course, 100 Reasons, they're... <laughs> I finished this maybe a month ago. There are already more, <laughs> right, right? Right, And that's the problem is that the book will be almost obsolete the day it comes out. 7.6 lies a day. So we'll tell you when it's time to kind of sign up for one and everything. But uh, we're going to have on our website, BillPressShow.com, a place where we can keep the book up to date by you can add your own reasons every day. So we'll be doing that uh, together. It'll be 200, 300, 400, 500. In six months, it'll be 500 reasons why Trump must go. <laughs> that's your yeah. that's your next book, at any rate. Yeah, these are well, but no. If we're gonna if 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 Trump's gonna go, uh, you can't wait for Robert Mueller to do it. You can't wait for Paul Ryan to do it. God knows, or Mitch McConnell. Uh, it's got to be done this time by in the midterms by getting back the House and getting back the Senate. How are we going to do that? Who are the candidates who are going to do that for us? Uh, the National Democratic Training Committee, that's what they are all about, training Democratic candidates for 2018. Kelly Dietrich, who's the founder of the National Democratic Training Committee, joins us next to tell it all about it here on the Bill Press Show. This Thursday, August 2nd, hang in there. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And here we go on a Thursday, uh, August 2nd, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. And joining you coast to coast uh, all across this great land of ours from our studio on Capitol Hill. With the news of the day, we are brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Now, these are the people who staff and uh, who serve you at all the big grocery stores across the nation. The good members of the UFCW under uh, President Mark Perrone. They're the ones who demand your food ID when you buy groceries because, of course, you can't buy groceries without the food ID. I wonder, I wonder what the members of the UFCW thought about that. Oh, Jesus, I've had this job for 12 years, and I've, I kept forgetting to ask for people's food ID. Very important. Oh, very important. As of now, man. You know, I stopped at Trader Joe's yesterday to get a yogurt. Damn, I had to show my photo ID. Yeah, that's just the world we live yeah, in, It was man. terrible. Anyway, check out their website at ufcw.org. And we welcome to the studio, uh, head of a very, very important organization, particularly for this year but beyond, the National Democratic Training Committee, founded by a founder, Kelly Dietrich, who joins us in studio all the way from Chicago. Hi, Kelly. Nice hey. to see you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We want to jump right into this, but we've been on the air for a little while here, uh, and our uh, listeners and viewers are weighing in. Peter? Yes, indeed. A couple of comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. You know, I did the story about Chipotle having another problem with uh, food safety outbreak. Walker says... Can we, this is mean? Oh, no. Can we get Trump to skip the Big Mac <laughs> at McDonald's and go to Chipotle instead? Uh, just an idea. Just an idea. I've never had that burrito bowl for Cinco de Mayo. I love Mexicans. Oh, yeah. that's right. He loves Mexicans. Uh, KG says I couldn't even go buy groceries with my new plastic 3D printed gun because I didn't have the proper ID. Yeah. So- Something like that. Uh, talking about the Paul Manafort trial, Jess oh, says, I saw yeah. Manafort's jail. You mean Al Capone? Al Capone, yeah. I saw Manafort's jail intake photo, and the super ironic thing is Manafort looks more human in that intake pic than any other image I've ever seen of him before. <laughs> I agree, by the way. I, he looks terrible. He looks like a prisoner. 
uh, in, in that photo. Uh, you talked about your new book, which is coming oh. out in September. Al says, I absolutely know the one reason to keep Trump in Bill's new book. He he says what it is, is to avoid Mike Pence's hand. No, Mike, Mike Pence getting his hands on the presidency. I uh, guess you'll just have to read the book to find that out. If you have a comment, uh, find us on Twitter. We are at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, we are taking your comments on any topic at any time. All right. Thank you, Peter, and thank you all for weighing in. And don't forget, uh, we, we love you to do that to all through the show and whatever we're talking about, uh, your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. So, Kelly, National Democratic Training Committee, what is it? When did it start? Um, and by the way, you're from based in Chicago, right? I'm I'm based in Chicago, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm impressed with your commenters. I can't be that witty this early in the morning. That's impressive. They <laughs> they blow me away every morning. They 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 can also be really mean. Yeah, oh, I can. And I don't know where they get that from. They certainly don't get that no. from from listening to the show. No, no, <laughs> not at all. And and but they're they're great people, and they're really they're 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 on, they're on it. So um, we join you in Chicago every day on WCPT. Absolutely, uh, great city. Love it. Love going out there, and and a lot of lot of good friends there, uh, and a political powerhouse, right? So it's a good place. There are a few sure. Democrats, yeah, yeah, for uh, an organization like yours. So again, what what do you do, and when do you, when do you get started? Absolutely. Uh, so the National Democratic Training Committee has one goal: we provide free campaign training to any Democrat anywhere in the country. And it really grew out a sense of my experience as a, as a campaign consultant. I did a lot of U.S. House, a lot of U.S. Senate races. And I would go all around the country helping people start up campaigns, right? Which are million-dollar, you know, overnight businesses. That, they're small businesses that yeah, pop up. Right. And you'd have these amazing people who run for city council, school board. Like, they're really committed to making change in their community. But they don't know. They come up and ask, how many votes do I need to win? How do I craft a message? Simple Pretty basic stuff. Huh? Exactly. But yeah. if you haven't done it before, you don't know how. And I realized they were forced to reinvent the wheel over and over. And so I took some time uh, to look at what are we doing to empower these type of candidates? How are we helping these people? And I saw, though my, my wife is the smart, successful one. She was doing some amazing things with online learning. And I realized that's the answer. We need that in democratic politics. We should be empowering anyone who wants to step up and run and giving them free training, access to those best practices, access so that they can make a difference in their community, right? Yeah, right. Okay. And you say, but is it all online? So we started out uh, initially at traindemocrats.org. We built a free online training academy, 18 courses. It is not just a simple PowerPoint or webinar. It's interactive learning designed uh, with help from some of the best online learning specialists in the country. Uh, everything is designed to be taken in 30 to 45 minutes for a course. Mm -hmm. And it's not just big theory. Right, you need a takeaway. Most of the campaigns, and we really focus on state rep, local races, down ballots, that they don't have big budgets. These are not full-time politicians, right? They, they come home, they have full-time jobs, families, careers. Right, right. Come home from work, have dinner with the family, put the kids to sleep, hop online, take a 45-minute course and understand what is a vote goal, how do I figure out what it is, download a worksheet that helps them figure it out on their race. Uh, how do these people find out about you, or how do you find out about them? Great question. So we are cooperative, not competitive. 
And what that means is we don't make endorsements. We don't take stances on issues. If you're a Democrat and want campaign training, you can sign up online and get it for free. So if you're pro-choice or not pro-choice, exactly, it's not you our get the training. You get the training as long as you're a Democrat. You get the training. Your community, your area, that's on you. All we all we want to do is empower Democrats to win. We've seen more than eighteen thousand people register online for the training, which is way more than we this ever year? expected. 18,000. Yeah. And one of the things that we also realized was that the the status quo, the normal way about training in democratic politics is if you're lucky <laughs> enough to be invited, <laughs> are in-person trainings, right? And traditionally, those yeah. were held by some fantastic groups who do great one-day trainings. But there's only so much you can learn in a few hours in a room with a few people. And when you left, where's the follow-up? What if you have questions? So we wanted to capitalize and use that status quo to help us expand and build the reach of this. And so cooperative, not competitive, we built partnerships with all 50 state parties. We built partnerships with several dozen organizations and groups, Run for Something, New Leaders Council, Emerge, all, all across the spectrum um, to help us spread the word. And then we held 46 separate live trainings around the country, free hmm. for Democrats to come and learn how to run campaigns. Uh, were, were they one-day sessions? They were one-day sessions, but yeah. we designed each of those one-day sessions to dovetail and complement everything at traindemocrats.org. So when they left, they weren't alone. They could ask questions, learn more. They could go back and see, ah, oh, you know, what did they say about how to make an ask and standing up for my campaign? Oh, it's all online. Go check it out. So uh, I know that uh, Emily's List has been doing an incredible job of training particularly training women, pro-choice women. Absolutely. Uh, so you are complementing, not competing with- Oh, absolutely. Yeah, with the work of Emlysis and others. I mean, other organizations, as you mentioned, I think moveon.org does some of this training as well. Yeah, there can never be enough training, right? If we get to the point where candidates are going, oh, I don't know which training to, to take to run my camp, that's a good problem to have. And we're, we're nowhere near that yet. More than half a million local elected offices around the country. So we believe by giving them, breaking down these barriers, right? So it's no longer just the people who have money or in a big sexy race can access this best practice. We're gonna do three things. We're gonna elect more people at local levels, which is great, more Democrats. We're gonna build a deeper bench for future right, office, right? right? More city council members, et cetera. But then there's an, uh, an uptick in effect. I, I always reference Missouri, I'm a Missouri boy, grew up in St. Louis. Claire McCaskill has a difficult reelection there. <clears throat> There are thousands of local candidates on the ballot all over Missouri and not just in the St. Louis, Kansas City blue areas, right? It's outstate. It's around Columbia and Rolla and down in, you know, Greene County. They're all knocking on doors. They're, they're the face of the Democratic Party in their communities. And when you think about it, I mean, when you run, it's a big decision. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, so, your family, mm -hmm. you empower them, you give them some free tools and they do two or three points better. What does that do for every congressional district they're in? What does that do for Senator McCaskill's chances? So you, what level are you active in? Every, you say every level. So our, uh, great question, our- School board, city council, all the way. Absolutely, absolutely. We're really designed for first-time candidates or campaigns that don't have the resources to hire full-time experienced staff. Or a campaign, uh, expensive campaign consultant. For, yeah, yeah, exactly, right. exactly, right? Yeah, and and I, I imagine then um, that the the weight of your um, 
your trainees or whatever you call them would tilt toward lower lower elective office, right? Absolutely. We have a, we have a lot of state rep. Running for Senate, chances council. are you've run for something before or you have a built-in political network. Not always, but yeah. Right. But right. it's when you're starting out is when you really need the basic tools and the yeah. basics. Yeah. Uh, and aren't there, haven't there been a lot of races, seats around the country where Democrats didn't win because Democrats didn't even field a candidate? You know, there are less this cycle, but yes. Uh, we are seeing, you know, everybody talks about the blue wave and the enthusiasm, the momentum. Right. We're definitely seeing it. I mean, you don't get 18,000 people registering for a tool like this without that kind of enthusiasm. Um, I know that uh, Missouri, North Carolina, Virginia, a whole bunch of states have done a fantastic job of recruiting candidates. Uh, you know, a big emphasis on the state level. Right. But you're exactly right at the local level. I mean, those offices matter. Right. If the city council is approving building permits for your area. Right. I mean, that's where that that's where Republicans do a good job, I think, of emphasizing the local a little better because you can't put up a uh, uh, a women's health clinic if it can't abide by the local zoning rules. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. There's yeah. lots of ways to make things very difficult there. What kind of candidates are you seeing among these 18? Not that you know every one of them. <laughs> but, I mean, who is, so who are the people who are coming forward to run now who may not have I – mean, first, let me ask this. Have you, is it true that Trump has been – is one of the, you know, the main uh, uh, inspiration for this? Uh, he's, I, I wouldn't say he's, I don't want to say he's an inspiration for this. Like, I don't want to give him word. credit for much of yeah. anything. Right. Uh, but I will say that, you know, there's that phrase, may you live in interesting times is a, is a blessing yeah. and a curse. Right. right. It, it, and that's, I mean, he has, is, is it true? It seems to me that he's driven a lot of people to say, absolutely. You know, I got to do something. You know, I might even run. Why not run? Yeah. So, and, and who are these people coming forward? Are they? Mainly young, mainly women. What do you see? So we rely on some self-reported statistics. But what I can tell you from what we've seen is uh, that a uh, we've had 360-some candidates report to us that they've been in their primary already. Uh, more than 70% of them won. Uh, a majority of them have been female, 40% uh, approximately. It's like 37% are under the age of 40. But we see people from all over the age spectrum. We see people from uh, first-time candidates, from uh, attorneys to stay-at-home parents to teachers. I think the, the driving factor is Trump. Look, we all feel it. We're angry. We're frustrated. We're a little scared. And we want to do something about it. We want to take that enthusiasm, that wave, and turn it into results, not just for 18, but for 20. 22, 24, so that we're thinking long-term down the road and we're not in this spot again in 10 years, staring down the barrel of, of redistricting and a whole host of problems on the court, et cetera, et cetera. Isn't what you're doing, uh, what the state party or the National Democratic Party, the Democratic National Committee should be doing? You've been a state party chair. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are expected to do everything and do not have a budget to do everything. Right. So we get this question a lot. And I thought about it when I started this. I realized it was no. Not one's that you job. shouldn't be doing it. Right. But just, if this mean that somebody else is not doing the job they should be doing. Uh, I don't think so. I think that 
to do this organization, to do training and do it well, it has to be the one thing you do. Right? It's like McDonald's. You do one thing, you do it well, they make hamburgers, right? We do training. And I think it needs to live outside those organizations for a couple of reasons. The first, this can't be a, what are we doing in 18 and then done. We need to, like I said, we need to be thinking long-term. We're already planning out for 19 and 20 and expansion and new courses, et cetera, et cetera. It can't just be a one-time thing. Number two, there needs to be consistent funding. And number three, there needs to be consistent leadership. And at state parties, at the DNC, as much as I love them and support them, you have a lot of changeover, especially at the top, and new priorities come in. Training may not be the priority a year from now that it is today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're here for the long term. We're here to provide training to make certain anyone who wants to run as a Democrat has the ability to do it. Right. Uh, and the um, I'm, I'm curious about these, these new people. That's what I'm. I'm so inspired by them, really. You know, and and impressed by them. Um, and some of them, younger people particularly, you know, who haven't been around politics. This is the first time they've been involved yeah. in politics, and they're out there putting themselves up to run for office, which That's is amazing, which is huge. And having run for office, I know. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> You talk about a full-time job. It's a right? two or three full-time jobs all at once. Yes. Right? On many different many and different levels. Then you get in. You just have another full-time job on top of the campaigning you already have to do and your regular job at work. I mean, it's a lot of work, a lot of responsibility. And it's I'm inspired all the time by the candidates who are, who are stepping up. Uh, there's a great story. Uh, one of the first trainings we ever did was in Springfield, Illinois. And uh, that was... 2017, June 2017. We came back this year and did our second annual training in Springfield, and it's a big affair. There's a couple hundred people all there. And my team and I are we're walking in, and we've got you know our bags and our stuff, and this woman comes up and says, Kelly, you may not remember me. My name is Jennifer McMillan. I was here last year, and I did remember her. She said, I just wanted to say thank you. I came last year being scared, frustrated, knowing I want to do something, but didn't know what it was. And I left thinking, I can run for office. I can do this. She's now the Democratic House candidate in District 101 in Illinois. It is a tough Republican seat, but she is out there. She's advocating. One of the things that is inspiring to me is that candidates I, I, again, I think Republicans do this better sometimes than than Democrats, which is she's out there advocating. And if someone disagrees, that's OK. This is what I believe. If you don't believe what I believe, don't vote for me. You don't have to be all things to all people. Democrats want a leader. We want someone to stand up and say, I'm sorry if you don't like it, but this is where I, what I want to do. So if you're thinking about running out there uh, yourself uh, or getting help for someone that you know who needs this kind of help or maybe just want to find out what's going on and maybe even offer some support, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, traindemocrats.org is our website. It's completely free and easy to sign up for Democrats. We would appreciate all the support and we want to help any candidate, even if you're thinking about running, we have a course that will walk you through what to expect. Uh, or if you're already in the heat of battle, we can help you out there, too. Traindemocrats.org. So this 18,000, I also wanted to ask you, so w yeah. obviously what you do, uh, you do not charge for it. No, right? we're entirely okay. donor funded. Right. But it's not 
free in the sense of you need resources to do this. Where's your, fun, <laughs> where's your funding come from? So we have uh, been able to build this on an overwhelming amount of support from the grassroots. We have done, uh, we have 67,000 individual contributors from around mm. the country. Mm -hmm. Average contribution is less than 11 bucks. Um, the support for this idea and this project has just been amazing. Uh, we need more of it, obviously. We want to grow, we want to expand, but we wouldn't be able to do this without those individuals. How many states are you active in? 50. Really? really all we, 50? We are in so all So this is not states. just a blue state phenomenon? Oh, no. And it can't be a, just a blue state phenomenon. Um, you know, I, I don't often like to, to equate campaigns with, with battle, but I really think, uh, I'm going to butcher a Churchill quote, right? But we have to fight them on the beach, yeah, and right. on the land, and in the air, right? We need to be contesting every seat, school board, city council, judge. It's time It's time to stand up and, and make some change and not let November 2000. Have you seen happen. any early indications of a possible blue wave? Uh, yes, I have. Um, now, that's not to say the blue wave is going to happen, right? We shouldn't take anything for granted, but you can see it in the number of candidates running. You can see it in the number of uh, filings and the amount of money raised and the number of donors out there giving, especially for the first time. Uh, I think we're seeing it in some of the special elections, right? I saw Ohio 12 is within one point yeah, now. Right, right. I mean, we're competing. Uh, Donald Trump's going out there Saturday. Oh, good. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> uh, there's certainly some places where he goes, it will not be good. I'm Ohio. It's not necessarily going to be good in, in that district in Ohio. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. fingers yeah. crossed, right? But, but, um, but there there have been. I know the the, the DNC as a figure. I think it's oh, last I said thirty nine or forty three state legislative seats, which have flipped from red oh, yeah. to blue. Yes, right. Yes, yes. And we're seeing that in places like Iowa, Florida. There was a state Oklahoma. senate seat in Missouri. Uh, uh, Michael Rebus is the state senator there, I believe. He's a trainee of ours uh, from from earlier this year, or late last year, uh, who won his special election seat. So yeah, we're seeing it everywhere. I think the underreported story or the biggest story of November 2018 is not going to be the Democrats taking back the House. It's not going to be whatever happens in the Senate. It's going to be the blue wave at the local level, not just state ledge, but you're going to have city councils, some that flip some in red areas that suddenly for the first time have one or two democratic voices on them mm -hmm. because there are so many people running and so committed. Now, I don't know whether anybody could, could, could answer this question where they've done that kind of a survey, but if you say, pardon me, that there are 18,000 candidates out there today that you know of, uh, it's probably more than we've ever had. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I would, just, in my 20 years, I, it is. Just more people are stepping up, more people want to run, and again, run for seats where perhaps nobody has, no Democrat has run before. So the energy, there's clearly a lot of energy, a lot of momentum, a yes. lot of excitement on the left. Is there on the right as well? Are they seeing this surge of first-time interest in getting out there and getting involved in politics? I haven't seen it. Uh, you don't hear about the record number are there indications of, of it? candidates. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so, but... Uh, you know, I don't see a, a surge of Republican first-time candidates running for local office around the country, right? We don't 
see that. We don't read it. We don't hear it. I don't think it's being ignored. It's not fake news. It's just not happening. I think that well, this is my personal opinion. If yeah. people have made up their mind about Trump at this point, right? No right. one's the, yeah. no one's changing to him in mass numbers. If if you like what he's doing, you're already a Trump fan, uh, and there's not a lot of enthusiasm. Um, the people who the people who are motivated are the ones running for office, and that's Democrats right now who are concerned about our future. Yeah. Well, he could be the best, um, uh, you know, ins- I hate to use that word, inspiration. <laughs> again. I'm with you. Hey, look, 2020 could the be The best bigger. recruiter that the Democrats have ever had. There you go. It is uh, National Democratic Training Committee. Traindemocrats.org is the website. Uh, check it out. Get involved. Run for office yourself. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very Great much. See you. We'll be right back here on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, Donald Trump says that shutting down the government will be a great campaign issue. Bring it on, Donald. Bring it on. Shut it down. We'll see what the American people think about that. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It's Thursday, August 2nd. A big day here uh, on in Washington and uh, a big day down in Tennessee, a primary down in Tennessee today. We'll be taking a look at that and a lot of other races ar- around the country uh, this particular hour uh, with our good friend Leah Askarinum. Yep. Right? I get it right? Yep. Askarinum. Yep. From Inside <laughs> Elections. Uh, it's so, Leah, it's nice to see you. Good Thanks. to see you, too. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having um, me. And remember, you know how it works. We'll tell you what's going on. We want to hear from you as we join you coast to coast today, uh, as every day from our studio in on Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C. We want to know what you think about the issues of the day, so send us your comments on Twitter at uh, BP Show. In addition to tracking uh, some important upcoming special elections, uh, both at the governor's level and Senate level and the House level, we'll tell you today about the latest on the Paul Manafort trial. Uh, Donald Trump saying he is the most unfairly treated person by the Justice Department since Al Capone. Uh, Capone. And of course, uh, Donald Trump ordering Jeff Sessions yesterday to shut down the Mueller investigation if that's not obstruction of justice, I don't know what is. So hold on to all of that. We'll join Leah here and talk about important races coming up uh, today and in the next few weeks. But first, 
This is the Full you know, Court Press. Give us the big stories. Oh, yeah. All the big stories making news out there. No Bigfoot erotica stories in no? this, in this oh. hour's Full Court Press, Bill. I just want to let you know. But we do have a story about Tesla. Tesla yesterday oh, reported yeah. its largest quarterly loss in its history. They say that they burned through $430 million in cash over three months, which means it lost more than $717.5 million in the second quarter. Now, to be fair, they did anticipate that it was actually going to be much worse than that. And they sort of pointed out that they're, they're spending a lot of money. They purposely spent a lot of money in that period of time. And so this was not a total shock. For those of you that were expecting this to somehow be tied back to Elon Musk and his erratic I think it's a generous mm-hmm. word, but his erratic mm-hmm. behavior on Twitter, this apparently had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do. This was this was sort of a planned thing that they knew about. But still, it's shocking to see that they lost $717.5 million in one quarter. That's a big number. Uh, I think Eli Musk should pay less attention to um, these little one-man submarines, less attention to blowtorches, and yeah. maybe focus on the main product here. Yes. Yes, absolutely. By the way, you and I have uh, uh, this in common. We hate going to the airport and having to go through the TSA bullcrap, right, of taking your shoes off and the belt and all this stuff, right? It's almost as bad as buying groceries. Almost. Well, you got to have your ID, as you know, That's, Bill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yesterday the TSA announced that they sort of floated this idea that they're going to get rid of security checkpoints at more than 150 smaller U.S. airports. They did not specify which 150, but they sort of pointed out that, like, you know, all three D.C. area airports, is this is not going to go away for us, right? Right. Uh, New York, uh, Chicago, L.A., places like that, you're not going to get rid of the TSA and the security checkpoint stuff anytime in the near future. But smaller, more regional airports, they're going to do away with it just to sort of, like, move people along. They don't think that the threat is as great in that area. I saw that story. Yeah. I'm just not sure about it. I mean, if if you got to prevent people from getting on a plane with a gun, they may be more likely to try to do it in a smaller airport. I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think of the TSA process. It is, is a pain in the ass. It's sort of a pain in the ass. and it's a, I mean, some of the stuff that they do is clearly outdated, right? And they have gotten better at it. Sure. Yeah. They have this I thing, which you haven't signed up for yet. And then they have the pre-check thing, which you can sign yeah. up for. This is the Bill Press Show. How do you like it if the President of the United States compares you to Al Capone? <laughs> I personally would not consider that a... Uh, positive statement or a compliment but that's what donald trump says about paul manafort hey hello everybody what do you say by the way al capone who was also who was convicted for tax evasion the same thing that paul manafort is on trial for good to see you today it's thursday august 2nd thanks for joining us as we come to you live from washington dc our nation's capital With all the news of the day, uh, such as it is, the House is out. The Senate's still in session today. Then they go out of town probably for a couple of weeks of the rest of the month of August. And uh, Donald Trump out of town today. He's headed up to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania for another Mm. campaign event of some kind up there. I don't know what's going on. 
Leah Askernam from uh, Inside Elections joins us here in studio to talk about some of these um, special elections coming up in the midterms in general. Leah, it's nice to see you. Nice you guys at Inside Elections keep on top of all of this. Uh, the big one is today, Tennessee primary, right? It is on a Thursday, Yeah, bizarrely. B- bizarre. Yeah. A t- primary for which offices? Uh, I mean, all House, Governor, Senate, but the ones that we're looking at are Governor and Senate. Um, the House seats are, there are a couple open seats because Diane Black and Marsha Blackburn are both running for oh, yeah, higher right. office, mm-hmm. um, but it looks like those are pretty safe Republican seats. But most of the focus down there has been on the uh, Senate race, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, the governor's race has gotten a bit of attention, um, especially when you're down there. It seems like Tennessee itself is talking more about the Republican primary. But in terms of the national conversation, the Senate is a a little bit more important. Uh, And and is it sort of fixed that it's Blackburn versus Bradenson or what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. I mean, there are other people, I think, on the ballot, but they don't really have a chance. Um, so it looks like it's going to be a, a matchup between uh, a former governor, former two-term governor, right. and a congresswoman. And a member of Congress, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and she's about as far right as you can get, Marsha Blackburn. Right. And Bradenson, former governor, sort of a centrist Democrat? Yeah. I mean, he's running like a lot of um, other Democrats. Tennessee, Tennessee Democrat, I guess. Exactly. Like, just like you know Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota or any of those other Democrats running in, in Trump states. Uh, Bredesen's message is, you know, I put Tennessee before politics. Um, and the uh, kind of opposite message would be like, well, do you want somebody who's loyal to Trump's agenda or loyal to Tennessee's agenda? Um, so we're seeing that across the board. Yeah. And um, Bradenson, pretty popular as a governor. What are the polls show in terms of any matchup? If, the, if it's the two of them, it looks like, again, it will be. And we've known that for some time. Yeah. Uh, what do the polls look like for at this point in the horse race? They're really close, and depending on the poll, one is above the other. Um, what's interesting about that, though, is that uh, Marsha Blackburn just got on TV. Um, Bredesen has been on TV since March, and he actually like introduced himself in a Fox News ad, like a, a cable ad that just aired on Fox News that didn't mention he was a Democrat. So. You know, oh. kind of a moderate, you know, you remember me, I'm your old governor, you elected me the second term in a landslide, and uh, I'm running again to, to keep going with, you know, the good stuff that was happening in, in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, so once, you know, Blackburn's on TV more, once this gov- a gubernatorial primary is over, Republicans think that Blackburn will start to garner more support and that her numbers will go up in the polls. But that, yeah, that would be a big pickup for Democrats to get Tennessee. It would be huge. And in fact, was not in play until... Until Pop Corker decided... Pop Corker decided not to run. Yeah, and decided to make Marshall Blackburn's job a little bit more difficult by talking up his friend Phil Bredesen on Mm -hmm. cable news. (laughs) What, so. where, where's what's the latest with Corker? He'll vote for Blackburn, but he won't campaign against Bredesen. He won't campaign that? against Bredesen. Bredesen would do a great job at anything he puts his mind to. And I don't even know if Corker would use Marsha Blackburn's name. He was like, I supported, <laughs> I gave the maximum donation to the Republican nominee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if... Uh, I mean, she's got some work to do to consolidate the Republican vote, and Republicans are, are, are sorry, Democrats are pointing to high-profile Republican donors who are switching to support Bredesen because he's kind of of that kind of old-school establishment kind of class of 
moderate um, politicians. Right. Uh, so let's jump from Tennessee to Ohio. Next Tuesday is the last special election, yeah. House special election, before the midterms. Yes. Uh, and uh, this is so important that having lost the Connor Lamb special in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. that Donald Trump is personally going out there Saturday yep. to Ohio to campaign for the uh, Republican uh, nominee out there, uh, Troy Balderson. Troy Balderson. Yeah, yeah, no, and outside groups have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on this race too. On a house seat. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think right. I mean, right now we have it rated as tilt Republican, which is in the Republican column, but just barely. A yeah. Democrat could yeah. definitely win, Danny O'Connor. Um, but uh, most of the polling has Danny O'Connor down like two points to five points. You know, so. Republicans definitely have an edge, but it would be really bad for the Republican narrative if they were to lose the seat. So they're pulling out all the stops to make sure that doesn't happen. Right. So the president's going out there. Um, what what comparable firepower do the Democrats have? Uh, and- Democrats are going to do the exact opposite. So, like, I mean, Republicans might want to nationalize this race a little bit. I, you know, if you support your president, you'll support Troy right. Balderson. Democrats want to do the exact opposite. They want to say, like, this is a local race. This is a local elected official. This is not a Nancy Pelosi race. And when you're voting for Danny O'Connor, you're voting for Danny O'Connor. You're not voting for the National Democratic Party. So So, they're, like, not going to bring in national forces. So no Joe Biden, no Barack Obama. No Joe Biden. The DCCC did put in some money, like, but they're not drawing a lot of attention to it. No, this is, and and you're seeing that kind of across the board with a lot of these Democrats um, running in competitive districts. They just don't want to be, you know, anywhere near the national party because the brand of the Democratic Party is is not great in a lot of these Trump districts, obviously. Right. But I've seen, uh, I thought I saw an article where Danny O'Connor, the Democrat, has actually raised more money than Balderson. Yeah. I mean, Danny O'Connor has basically been able to hold his own. He's the Franklin County recorder. So it's like, (laughs) I mean, I don't really know what the day to day of that looks like. But local elected official Democrats were excited about him when he jumped in the race. Um, He had a primary with with a former sheriff there. Um, So, I mean, he's kind of just a run of the mill, not quite as charismatic as Connor Lamb, according to some. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Not a veteran, you know, like that kind of doesn't have the exact same profile as Connor Lamb, but is really trying to run on like local stuff and on healthcare, you know, um, yeah. kind of kitchen table issues. Uh, there's just so, so many interesting races I want to ask you about. Uh, there's a lot of excitement about Beto O'Rourke mm-hmm. in Texas. I mean, some people I hear see... he's like a Kennedy. That's what everybody says. That... <laughs> uh, it's like every profile you read, it's like Beto O'Rourke is the next, is Kennedy-esque, is the, the next, next Kennedy. The next JFK, Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm telling you, I, I just meet a lot of people that they're following his campaign, they're sending him money, they think he's the most exciting politician to come along since JFK, he's I guess, right? He's raising tons of money, is, yeah. Does he have a shot? I think he has a shot. Um, oh, my I was, God. I hope you're right. I mean, I don't Ted think it's Cruz is, likely. There's one people we'd love to see fall, you know, right? Like, I could take, begrudgingly, I could take another couple of years of Donald Trump, but if Ted Cruz goes down, that'll be just enough of a win to, like, help me through the rest of the Trump <laughs> I mean, I'm still a serious skeptic. And, like, this is as sure, of, like, yeah. the last oh, month yeah. that I've 
decided, like, possibly, like, I maybe there's a path to victory. Um, but from what I'm – there's, like, a very specific strategy that he'd have to follow. And it kind of works with, you know, a good year for Democrats. Like, if he can count on Democrats turning out in, yeah. you know, huge numbers huge in number. El Paso and in, you know, Dallas and San Antonio and – there are also tons of congressional candidates who are running their own turnout campaigns right. in those districts. Right. Can he go into the rest of the state and mm-hmm. try to not necessarily win those red counties, but just like lose by less, which is what happened, you know, in 2016. And a mm-hmm. lot of these races mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know, Hillary Clinton, you know, overperformed Barack Obama and a lot of the major urban centers in the country. But when it came to, you know, the kind of white working class rural areas, Trump just dominated there like a Republican hasn't done in years so that's like would be kind of overworks formula is can he depend on the cities to show up for him and then he's been like in an RV going around the state of Texas meeting Republicans and that's you know his how he spends his days I I I swear he's able to bilocate because he's everywhere. He's in California raising money he's here raising money and he's and and I, I know this presence of in Texas where they say you see him everywhere in Texas. Yeah. So uh, it's a very exciting race. He may be a little ahead of his time, right? I mean, I think Texas is going to turn blue again, but... Further down the line, I mean, right now it seems what's more likely to happen is that Democrats will make some inroads in congressional races rather than, like, win a a whole statewide office. They might have more luck in, um, you know, a few of those Hillary Clinton districts that still have Republican incumbents maybe increase their representation in some of the open seats because there are so many Texas Republicans retiring um, before getting to statewide office. That might be way further down the line, but it's not impossible. I'm, I'm officially at it's not impossible for Beto O'Rourke <laughs> to win. Um, the the uh, president was down in Florida mm-hmm. last week for Ron DeSantis, earlier this week, I guess, yeah. for Ron DeSantis. Feels like yeah, a year in ago. Tampa. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It was just wasn't Monday night, I guess, right? Yeah, sounds right. Monday, yeah, Tuesday, yeah. Um, and um, intervening in a Republican primary. Yeah, for governor. Uh, for governor. Yeah. yeah, but unusual for him. Well, maybe not that he did get involved in a Senate Republican primary in Alabama. We know how well that worked. Yeah, I mean, he's gotten involved in a few Republican primaries. I'm trying to think of some off the top of my head, um, but I mean, I don't think it's that rare for him to find somebody who's you know his number one supporter what's tricky about choosing your number one supporter is that all of these republican primaries are like battles for who loves trump the most so like i don't really know how you how Mm. you choose when everybody's pledging their undying loyalty to you but this was a case where there was the establishment if you will republican party in florida had lined up between uh, Adam Putnam, Putnam, Putnam. yeah, uh, and then uh, Ron DeSantis is the Trumper on Fox News all the time defending him, uh, and it looked like Putnam had the advantage until Donald until Trump, Trump weighed in out. for DeSantis. And by the way, we've never seen a candidate go all in on Trump the way that Ron DeSantis has. I mean, he's right. taken oh, it no, to he's... a completely new level. Oh, I don't know, though. I mean, in, like, the Indiana or, like, the West Virginia Senate primaries or, like, the Indiana Senate primary, I feel like there have been a lot of kind of, like, Republicans who just, yeah. Yeah. I I just, I I think of the ad that Ron DeSantis put out this week of him reading to his child. (laughs) 
make America great again and showing his child how to build a wall. Mm-hmm. And his wife <laughs> is sort of narrating it. So like a lot of people say that Ron DeSantis is crazy about Donald Trump. And that's just not true. And it's just all this idolatry. It's so weird. Yeah. There was one ad, I want to say in Montana, possibly, where like it was a lower profile candidate but i mean the entire ad was basically a speech by donald trump at a rally <laughs> oh, and yeah. his own like logo was like the trump pence logo but like with his own name <laughs> so course. like this is yeah ha- but what's we know that like trump's m- makes a big impact on republican primaries we don't know if he makes a big impact on general elections. i was just going to ask so then this is this is, so it'll be trump versus bill nelson well, for Senate. So Bill, Bill oh, Nelson oh, oh, this, is— that's right. For, yeah. That's the, for governor. Yeah. So, yeah, Rick yeah. Scott's actually keeping some right. distance from Trump now, which I think is interesting because they mm-hmm. were so close when right. Right. Um, Trump yeah. was courting him. But of course. Um, Scott has a prior engagement, I think, for maybe it was this last rally or an upcoming one. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's beginning to keep some distance so that he and Bill Nelson can both be the Florida first people. Uh, so yesterday, uh, former President Barack Obama came forward and said, I'm going to uh, get involved in the 2018 uh, elections mm-hmm. and I'm going to be supporting, endorsing 81 candidates, Democrats. Yeah. Uh, long list. An interesting list, both for who's on it and who's not on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are, I mean, a bunch of Obama officials, people who worked for the Obama administration are on there. Um, so that there were a few where I would like, like um, Amar Campanajar running in California's 50th district against Duncan Hunter. He was on that list. And it, that took me a second because he wasn't super high profile. He, he won the, I think, California state endorsement, but didn't wasn't like a DCCC candidate or anything. But he was an intern in the Obama uh, White House. You know, so there are a few different officials who have their own Obama connections. Well, a couple of things struck me about it. One, uh, uh, I don't have the entire list in front of me, but it's yeah. a long list, 81 it people. It is. Uh, is uh, first of all, it's a lot of people mm-hmm. to be endorsing. Uh, two, he there were endorsements for Senate, for governor, and a lot for state legislature, mm-hmm. which was unusual. Yeah. Or Congress, too, but a lot for state legislature, which Democrats, frankly, have ignored at their own peril. Right. Trying to rebuild the Democratic the, Party, which, like, you're seeing happen throughout the country. I mean, right. That's right. probably the biggest benefit so far we've seen for Democrats with the Trump presidency is <laughs> Trump has basically rebuilt a lot of state dem- uh, state governments to favor Democrats. Right. And and the with the challenge of the uh, the. Uh, census in 2020, mm-hmm. a lot of people are saying we got to focus on state legislative state legislative mm-hmm. races to get either and and governors yep. uh, to be able to control uh, the reapportionment process. Yep. Uh, and Obama reflects that with his uh, with his endorsement. So I thought that yep. was very positive and very smart on his part. And he and Eric Holder that sort of have taken on that part of that responsibility. Right. And this is a reflection of it. But 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 the other thing that struck me is. There are some names that were missing, the most obvious of which is he did not endorse Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah. Uh, that Tom Perez, sitting in that very chair you are, told us a couple of weeks ago, is the future of the Democratic Party. Yeah. Why I, wouldn't Obama—I mean, nobody's gotten more attention lately than she has. True. 
for knocking off a, a, yeah. a powerful incumbent Democrat with a with with a very uplifting progressive message. Why wouldn't Obama endorse her? So looking through the list, at least on the congressional governor, you know, and federal election yeah. side, um, most of the candidates he endorsed, or at least a, a good chunk of them, would really benefit from that endorsement. They're in competitive races where, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're trying to unseat a, a Republican. So I'd assume that, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doesn't need that. I also assume that if he did, it would become a story in and of itself. You know, like the missing part, I guess, we're talking about. But if he had actively endorsed her, like, would that overshadow some of the other endorsements? I don't know. Um, But the other ones who are missing are like a lot of Iowa, Kansas, um, kind of upstate New York Democrats who are running. Um, And that's probably because they want some distance from the National Party and distance from Obama. And so his endorsement would really help, you know, uh, Stacey Abrams running for governor in Georgia. But it's not really going to help Abby Finkenauer or it might not help Abby Finkenauer in um, Iowa's first district. You know, like it's just a different kind of district looking for a different kind of national so politics. are these pro- are you saying these are progressives that would not want Obama's endorsement? Some of them, I think, identify as progressives. Um I think we need to make a distinction between progressive and anti-establishment because you do have candidates who support Medicare for all, who support um, you know single payer things like that, but want to be um, distanced from the national party, and that's what you're seeing in a lot of um, kind of white working class districts mm-hmm. throughout the country, um, and, well, and veterans too. Like I mean, people who are just like still are, are campaigning on health care and uh, kind of wages, but aren't willing to to be part of the national party. All right. So uh, I want to come back to uh, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez again, because when I saw her not on the list, uh, I thought, well, um, like you did, Mm -hmm. well, she doesn't need his help. Mm -hmm. Right. So why would he sort of like, Mm -hmm. of course, he supports her, but doesn't need his endorsement. And then I looked at California, and he endorses Gavin, Gavin Newsom. Newsom. I mean, if there's anybody who does not need Obama's help, it's Gavin Newsom. So why Gavin Newsom and not Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? I feel like we'd have to, like, ask their aides. And, like, there must be some – I mean, there might be an interpersonal thing well, happening there. You know, the other thing – I mean, I think you hit on it yeah. earlier, right? Like, she is, for better or worse, a fairly polarizing figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, even within the Democratic Party, not just to, to uh, Republicans, yeah. not not to us, of course, but to like no. some Democrats. But I think overall, yeah. she's an inspirational figure. I agree. I, mean, people, I agree with for that. Women, people of color. But for... if you're a Democrat running in, you know, in Kansas, you don't want Alexandria <laughs> Ocasio Cortez to be the the face of the party. Maybe not. not maybe yeah. not. But like for like the point th- you're making, is... this is sort of like classic Obama, classic sort of like centrist Democrat, not put their name on something that might even remotely be anywhere close to controversial. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're and, and Leah, you're right. I thanks think, Obama. Yeah, th- <laughs> thanks Obama. Yeah. Miss me yet? It's sort of like you know if if he had endorsed her, that would have been the only story to come out yep. of this. It, like all the st- like you mentioned the state legislature stuff, and yeah. everything else uh, completely washed away. It would have been Barack Obama endorses 
uh, a democratic socialist. And remember also who endorsed Ocasio-Cortez, right? Bernie. Yeah. So, which, again, I would argue that's why Obama should have done it. It would have sort of shown we're all together now, right? Instead, by not doing it, it continues this conversation about, right? Will the the establishment really embrace, will it really accept that we're a big tent party? Some Uh, of them are not there yet. No. And Bernie, did he did endorse Stacey uh, Abrams? Abrams, who, yeah, yes. Who is Obama. Oh, so I want to ask you about Georgia. I think Georgia is such an exciting race and it she's is. such an exciting candidate. I mean, the idea of uh, African-American governor of Georgia, female, in the first in the entire nation. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, it's a it's epic. You know? And there just and, aren't that many like African-American or, you know, State officials running for statewide office at this point, or yeah, elected right. officials running. So, for so does office. she have a shot? Yeah, she has a shot. Um, it's going to be tough. It's still Georgia, and we're not seeing um, evidence yet that this is going to be like a tsunami year where she would, you know, possibly benefit from, mm-hmm. you know, blue energy that's right. like yeah. coming from everywhere. Um, but she has a shot. I mean, I think Georgia's kind of in the same category as you know, Nevada, Arizona. Texas, where you see trending, but maybe, but maybe not there yet. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and um, the the other race, probably governor's races. I know we're talking a lot about those, but uh, I think we should be talking more about them. Actually, mm-hmm. is Michigan? There's a what three way Democratic primary uh, in Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I and here again, Bernie has jumped in and endorsed a, a young Muslim American. Yeah. Um, I mean, and he's been on our radar from the beginning. I mean, Abdul Al-Sayed isn't um, like an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in that, like, we've known about him for for uh, months. Uh-huh. Um, it wouldn't be a total surprise, you know, that, he's, that he comes through. Whereas Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was like the night of the election. I was, you know, Googling, like, who's, <laughs> who's yeah. this person? Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of um, progressive energy in these in these. Mm-hmm in races like across the board. It's not just New York, it's it's across the country. But I don't think it's quite yet like the, I think the Democratic Party is still in it a bit of an identity crisis. And I think that's half of the party. I don't think it's what were, I mean, focuses on the most competitive races. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not the norm for us. Yeah. We're seeing much more um, kind of middle of the road um, I mean, I don't want to say middle of the road on issues, but I mean, trying to kind of court Trump voters, um, a lot of veterans, like people who are are trying not to be kind of tied to any particular wing of the party. Uh, I don't know when the primary is in Michigan, but there is a woman who is sort of the centrist and the establishment favorite candidate. Yeah, uh, I'm her name, but, basing okay. on her name, too. Yeah. But I mean, there's like a few there. That's the dynamic in a bunch of races. Uh, back, races. So who do you think is the most vulnerable? Um, t- t- two questions. Mm. Where is it most likely, We talked other than Tennessee, mm-hmm. the most likely place where Democrats could pick up a Senate seat? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Arizona or Nevada? Arizona or Nevada, either one. I either mean, one, right. N- Nevada seems a little bit more likely just because they've you know, supported- With Jackie Rosen? With Jackie Rosen, they, they've uh, elect or Democratic candidates have carried Nevada the last three presidential elections. Right. So, like, so. it's just trending in Democrats' favor. 
Uh-huh. Um, and wh- who do you think is the most vulnerable Democrat among the red state Democrats? Heidi uh, Heitkamp, North Dakota. Heidi Heitkamp, North Dakota. Yeah, definitely. Um, she um, More so than Joe Donnelly in, in Indiana. Yeah. I mean, from what we've seen so yeah. far. I mean, I think the Heitkamp race has probably um, unfolded a little bit. Like, I mean, we have more polling from North Dakota. Um, we just kind of see the shape of the race a little bit more clearly. Um Whereas Indiana, I think, is, is still kind of taking shape. It's just, I mean, North Dakota is so red. <laughs> it's And when Heidi Heitkamp won her first election in 2012, she won by less than a percent against a flawed candidate. Yeah. Um, the polling but, has her down by, like, a couple points for the most part, the public polling. Um, it, it doesn't mean that it can't change. I mean, she's, if anybody could do it, it's Heidi Heitkamp. But uh, it's not it's everything's working against her. All right. So inside elections, insideelections.com, right? Yes. That's where people can follow on a daily basis uh, all of these important races and how they're trending and what it looks like. Leah, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, Always good to me. see you. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump, he's vowing to shut down the government. How will that affect the midterms? By the way, I got to say, I'm glad we got through the whole half hour. We never talked about 2020. Next time. time. We still have two more years. No, in December we'll talk about 2020. (laughs) December of 2019. (laughs) We'll wait till the last second. (laughs) Cameron Joseph from Talking Points Memo joins us next year on The Bill Press Show. Quick break. We'll be right back. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. And here we go with the Bill Press Show, Thursday, August 2nd, wrapping up here on a big Thursday with a lot of news. And um, we're coming to you live from our nation's capital, as always. Brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, those great men and women of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa. We all live better because of their good work. Check it out at Teamster, teamster.org. Uh, joining us here to uh, wrap up the show and uh, cover all those issues we haven't had a chance to talk about yet, our good friend Cameron Joseph, senior political correspondent for Talking Points Memo, talkingpointsmemo.com. Hey, Cam, nice to see you. Good to see you, Bill. Uh, we should mention there is uh, not on the American political bra- uh, news, but uh, front rather, but a little bit of breaking news just reported by CNN. Uh, Pope Francis has come out with a new statement which changes the Catholic teaching on the death penalty. Uh, The Catholic Church have been mainly against the death penalty with like one maybe exception or so. Now the Pope says we are changing the Catholic catechism. 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 (coughs) Haven't used that word in a long time, (laughs) obviously. Uh, To to say that the death penalty is never admissible anytime, anywhere, for any reason. It is never admissible and pledging to work for its abolition. That's big time, big yeah, news. Yeah. I can't blame you for having catechism get your tongue. <laughs> That's a big trip. But yeah, I, I honestly, I mean, you're talking to a right, rather secular Jew here, but I mean, I, I thought that was where the Catholic Church had been. Honestly. Well, it's me, as a Catholic, I thought so too, but uh, we just checked it out, and there was a phrase in the catechism that said uh, an exception for yeah. when it's not, that's the only by killing a person is the only way you could possibly protect society. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And now the Pope is just saying, no, there are no, there's no excuse ever, ever, ever for the death penalty. 
Um, yeah, try to get that through the United States Congress. Of course, that's another mm-hmm. challenge. But uh, but it's, it's a big deal for the Catholic Church to make that uh, official. Um, and um, uh, that'll get some uh, take a while yeah. maybe for the church to catch up around the around the globe. I've always found it interesting talking to some conservative Catholics who you know are frustrated. Well, de- Democrats who are pro-choice who are Catholic aren't real Catholics, and how can I, they be part of I the know. church? And li- and like okay, I understand that, but then I don't understand. Catholics who are conservative or then pro death penalty because I mean like it's it just seems like they're if your culture of life like that that's a I you know holistic viewpoint I I can understand and, and you know right. ex- accept and, and and give some credence to if you're sticking with the whole plan you know um, I, I, I think I you know to, I think there's there, I have respect for that position if that's a con, you know consistent position for uh, sure I have uh, enjoyed on many occasions uh, making that point with Pat Buchanan <laughs> <laughs> I bet <laughs> uh, m- many times so uh, Do- Donald Trump sort of um, doubled down yesterday uh, Cam by saying uh, that there are people worried that he said and I was there. Monday in the East Room of the White House when he said again, I'm willing to shut down the government if I don't get my wall uh, there with the prime minister of, uh, of Italy. Uh, some people were a little Republicans on the Hill, particularly weren't too happy hearing that. Yesterday, yeah. he said, I think it will be a great campaign issue. The Republicans are worried. We don't want this in the middle of the midterms. Yeah. He says it'll be a great campaign issue. Really? It's a little baffling to me. And I think the general rule of thumb is the person you know the side that starts the shutdown is the one that gets blamed for the shutdown? I think we well, saw that with Democrats when they forced a shutdown earlier this year, and we d- certainly saw that with Republicans uh, a couple years ago when Ted Cruz and and the House Freedom Caucus threw their and Obama way back when Newt Gingrich did, yeah. Right? So, and, and and also especially when you control, yeah, when you're in charge of and everything. you decide to shut things down, and like. It's not like he's like oh blaming the other side somehow. It's like no, he's like I think we should shut things down if I don't get my money for my wall and my and and and, and it's unfair from my fellow Republicans, right? And I mean you do need Democratic votes for some of these bills because of you know how yeah, but, the Senate is set up. So, uh, but you need so you know, Democrats do have a check on that even with some of their swing state uh, and red state senators up for re-election. It's still hard, I would argue, when you control everything to blame the Democrats if you shut down the government. It's not the best politics, (laughs) and I I haven't been up on the Hill as much this week as I've been working on some other stuff, but, you know, from what I've heard from colleagues, they're, you know, it's it's the twin, you know, Republican responses of, he didn't, oh, that is not what he meant, or that's not how it's going to work out. Just like like complete denialism of what the president clearly just said, because they don't want to deal with it, and they're just hoping he'll change his mind in the next 48 hours, which is a 50-50 chance of happening. That's true. Or, you know, saying, oh, please don't do this, please don't do this, please don't do this. And especially for House Republicans who are already, you know, the Senate Republicans I don't think it's quite as big of a problem for, because... Most of the seats that really matter on the map, uh, with the exceptions in Nevada, Arizona, are red states. They're not just yeah. swing states; they're red states. You know, Florida, little red leaning swing state, but uh, and so it doesn't matter as much there. But these House seats, these suburban Republicans in districts where immigration does not play to their advantage, at least the way that Trump has been talking about it, do not want immigration as the main issue heading into the final, you know, sixty days of this election. 45 days of this election. And, right. Uh, That's right. Know, That's a double whammy. So it's shutdown and immigration yep. all at once. Yeah. Well, and, and it's triple because not only that, but it drowns out whatever they're hoping to talk about. And and, and Donald Trump is like the elephant on steroids in the room. Uh, so 
it's already hard to break through if you're a House Democrat or Republican with any message in these campaigns, and especially in these suburban districts where you know you raise three, four million dollars, you have all the super PAC help, and you still have two to three weeks of advertising that maybe people see three or four times. So it's just hard to break through uh, in in a lot of the seats that we're talking about. And Donald Trump is all that matters, is all that people are thinking about, and he's dominating this election already. And so, especially these guys who are, you know, sort of moderate and are trying to break with the president and trying to find some room and are in tougher districts, this just puts them in an impossible situation. Yeah, yeah. You know, I must say, uh, I think by this time, we're getting a little used to Donald Trump's style. I mean, he has threatened to shut down the government before and then didn't. Yeah. Um, and even Monday at this news conference in the East Room, he said, well, of course, I always leave room for negotiation, right? So he even yeah. left a little wiggle room there, which I, so I don't think it's a pledge that he would not break. Right. right. It's, just, it, uh, it's one of the every time he opens his mouth, it's like, OK, or I feel like half the people don't take it seriously enough and half the people freak out way too much. And it's just because who knows if he's going to follow through on it, you know, like and there's he has a pattern of repeating things and repeating things and repeating things. And it sounds like he's just talking about it and then he does it. Mm-hmm. And we, we've seen that, especially with, with replacing some some staff um, and and putting his foot down on certain issues where like he'll whine about it for a while and stew about it for a while and then keeps getting like calmed down by his staff for you know, somebody gets in his ear and says, look, just like, you know, talk about it, but like, don't do it. But then he eventually often does it. Um, and it's just right. very unpredictable when that's actually going to happen. So covering the White House, you and I have seen many times um, the uh, difficulties that the staff has in uh, either defending or explaining <laughs> or ducking Donald Trump, some of the more outrageous and outlandish comments that he was made. I thought maybe the funniest uh, was uh, yesterday when Donald Trump uh, down in Tampa, of course, uh, uh, announced to the world, right, uh, that we should have voter ID. It's no problem having a voter ID because, after all, you need an ID to buy groceries, right? Yeah. So, of course, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked yesterday, when's the last time Donald Trump was in a grocery store? Now, here's yeah. how far she has to twist herself inside out to defend this. Certainly, if you if you go to a grocery store and you buy beer and wine, you're certainly going to show your ID. I don't think that doesn't drink meth. He's not saying every time he went in, he said, when you go to the grocery store, that reporter was saying, is that what the president who doesn't drink meant? Yeah. But he didn't say here. Here's Donald Trump. He does not say alcohol. You know, if you go out and you want to buy groceries, you need a picture on a card. You need ID. You go out and you want to buy anything. You need ID and you need your picture. How can how hard he be it, so out of touch? How hard it is for Donald Trump to leave his own audience not cheering. Oh, They're like kind of right? dumbfounded. They're like, wait, what? <laughs> like these are the people waving QAnon signs and right. like yeah. screaming at reporters and – you know, I mean, I, I don't think they've just drank the Kool-Aid. I think they're like out, out in the fields follow, following the wishes of the leader. Uh, and it's it's just to a point where it's like, what? where did that one come from? I know. I know. It was a, I, and then, remember, I mean, like I'm not old enough to remember personally, but like didn't George H.W. Bush get in a huge amount of trouble because he couldn't say the price of milk? It's he like Donald Trump doesn't even no, understand. Was, like, no, or, he didn't. Was a, well, maybe the price, of milk, it but was he the, didn't know what the scanner right, was. Right, that's what it was. Yeah, 
Yeah. And like, both, you know, of, both of those things. It was the milk uh, thing and the scanner. It? He yeah. said both of those yeah. things and got in trouble for it. He yeah. went to a grocery store, actually, and he was looking, oh my God. This, what are these what things? What is this? <laughs> I've never seen this before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, you know what? Like, these people wind up in like very weird lives because they're yeah. in yeah. these jobs that leave well, them not going to the grocery store. And, that and I, also, that, Donald Trump, born of wealth, always had other people, certainly, you know, right. buying groceries for the family. They didn't do yeah. it. Yeah. And I mean, like, from his eating style, I don't get that he's ever been, like, culinarily curious. So, like, I can't imagine he was, like, in the Whole Foods going through, you know, the, the special produce of the week. But. It'd be so much easier to say, oh, the president just made a mistake, right? I mean, he just got it wrong or something. I mean, what's, what's wrong with that? Just people accept They just that. can't admit they that cannot. he's wrong ever. No. All right. Now, you did it. You did it. You cracked the dam here. You mentioned <laughs> something that I've been trying to avoid. But no, I'm nervous. you brought it up. QAnon. Oh, I don't. Whatever it is, what the hell is this? Honestly, I people there in the is it no? This this one of the papers this morning has on the front page. But there's somebody holding up this Q just in the crowd. Yeah, and people kind of know what this is. What I honestly, I'm going to be upfront. I have not followed this that closely. Because every time I try to read it, I feel like my ears are about to start bleeding. You're, I don't. Yeah, you, your brain just starts leaking out of your ears right. if you try and understand. Okay. It. Right. It, it it's like thought Ebola. No it's like I don't understand but it. But this is even but, weirder than the birther theory, isn't it? I mean, oh no, is, it's way out there. It's like a yeah. a bank shot hinge off of the comet ping pong. Hillary is keep oh, is running oh, a yeah. sex ring in the basement of comet ping pong because of some weird joke that happened in the. The Russian hacked WikiLeaks emails, um, but it's like, from what I understand, is basically like, well, no, like, like the Mueller investigation is really like Trump is running it and it's investigating the Hillary sex ring or something like that. But I don't. That's only a part of it, and I, I'm not going to pretend to understand it. I'm, well, I, but what I got it out just of it shows is that there's su- supposedly some guy, some person, unnamed. That's Q, in mm. the federal government, who is fighting the deep state. And yeah. he's the hero of the people who believe in the deep state. That this part, and he's this person sends messages out secretly to his followers. You know that we're going to undo yeah. the deep state. And I mean, he's the lunacy. It's one of the Total things like, that I really you know did it's, expect that ha- would happen. Not this particular theory, but like you elect a guy like Donald Trump, who's constantly selling conspiracy theories, and who and led he the just and, movement for five years. Yeah, and like. You're just going to give a lot of credence to a lot of things that are increasingly wild and unhinged and disattached from reality. And it, at a very fundamental level, and I think he's both cause and like, he, he was both created by this and is fueling it. There's just a breakdown in, in normal Good societal point. communication yeah. where, right. like, but certain amounts. I mean, I, I had a friend who was just down visiting his, his family and like was having to like spend half the trip talking his mom out of some crazy conspiracy theories along these lines. Who like you know like is like not a total wing nut, but like listens to right wing radio and just hears a lot of things. And this is Alex Jones. That is yeah. I mean, is he a cure? I, I would, I'm pretty I wouldn't sure be he's surprised. one of the people pushing the pushing it. I don't know if he's one of the leaders, but he's certainly. Because he's busy with his trials right now. Yeah, yeah. he's got, he's got, he's got but, his hands full. But this is of a league with that. Nine Eleven was an inside job, right? Or we never landed on the moon, uh, or the birther theory. Or, yeah, I mean, I feel yeah. like at least like, like those had like more logical consistency and coherence. As, like as, you look into those, as, and like at first blush, crazy it's like, as they were. Yeah, it's right. like it's like. 
I, I feel like it's like the Lyndon LaRouche level theories were like 1.0 where it's like, oh, that's a little wacky, but we, I was with you for the first like 40 sure. words and now it's like, where are you going with this? But we're like, we're still kind of nodding along intently and trying to figure out what you're saying and then like you hit the what the heck. This one was like six <laughs> words in where it, it's like, yeah. is yeah. her? No, like uh, you just have to respond with like cartoon noises. It doesn't even like folks. dignify like a breakdown. And like you try and like well, logically reason folks, through, and there's no folks, logic. It makes perfect yeah. sense. You just gotta look at the documents. I have the documents. <laughs> You've seen the documents. We've all seen the documents. You just gotta you just gotta pay attention. It's right, right here in front of us. By the way, so this came up at the briefing too yesterday, and rather than say it's bat, you know what, crazy, right? Sarah Huckabee Sanders essentially defends it. While we certainly support freedom of the press, we also support freedom of speech, uh, and we think that those things go hand in hand. That was her answer to these people having the Q sign at the rally. Instead of just saying, you know, no, we don't agree with those nuts, right? Or How many of them are there? Anyhow, why wouldn't she just d- deny them? Because they're her supporters. Yeah, I guess so. So talking about people, when you talk about people saying crazy, crazy things, uh, You've written about the Congressman Pete Sessions. Uh, he sort of stepped in it this week, huh? Yeah, this is a, a bit of a wild one. And I'm going to preface that Pete Sessions is the House Rules Committee chairman. Uh, yeah, very he's a, powerful. He's like, you know, one of the half dozen most powerful Republicans right, in the House. Right, you don't hear right. from him that often. Uh, he's more of a behind the scenes player. Um, has regularly been, you know, kind of eyeing, tossing his hat in the ring for one of the top three leadership positions. Has kind of been scared off a few times, but like, is a very serious, powerful guy. Yeah. Um, at the same time, is a guy who, you know, it's widely known around the Capitol and joked about with his own staff, uh, past and present, that like, he doesn't always phrase things in the way that he means. Like, he is a guy who kind of tangles his words occasionally. And steps on his, himself and makes weird band and lyrical references without meaning to. And like it sometimes, ha- you know, often has to like, wait, what what did you mean there? And then like have a, you know, walk it through. So like it's, you know, to give the guy the, the benefit of the doubt, he is like you use a lot of ellipses when you're quoting him. Um, <laughs> that being said, uh, he was at a Republican event in uh, June. That was I think he thought was a private Republican event. Um, and there was a very conservative, socially conservative guy there, activist who really doesn't like no-fault divorce and thinks that no-fault divorce should be repealed, like going back to like the pre-1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, no-fault divorce is, is, is the law of the land in all 50 states. New York somehow only adopted it in 2010, but in most states picked it up in the 70s. Uh, social conservatives for a long time say, look, this leads to... You know, a lot much higher divorce rates, the breakdown of the family, the whole Rick Santorum saw about that. Right. Um, and, you know, and I, I think divorce rates probably have risen from it because it's easier to get divorced at the same time. People don't have to commit perjury to get divorces anymore because they can just yeah. say this isn't working out as opposed to, well, he, you know, emotional abandonment or abuse or right. whatever. Um, and also there's, you know, some liberal economists have done studies that show that there's been, you know, de- decreases in female suicide and decreases in spousal abuses in the states that have adopted this. So, like, you know, some good things, at least according right. to those studies. Um, so he was, Pete Sessions was getting pushed on that. And so and he was, you know, obviously uncomfortable about it. And he, he said, I don't understand. You know, give me a chance to bone up on this at one point. Like, clearly, like, was not fully getting it. This is um, a, a town hall? That he was, yeah, this is yeah. a Gar- Garland County, Greater Garland Republican mm-hmm. Organization, I think was the name of the group. Um, and this guy's videoing this whole thing. And... Then Sessions is talking about how 
they <clears throat> kind of like a little tangentially talked about how they like had changed some of the local court system because it hadn't been working and there'd been all the, these violent domestic disputes because of messy divorces partially and basically saying like because the courts were such a mess um and that was kind of the lead in and then he was talking about you know this meeting he called it it actually seems like it, it might have helped the problem a little bit but then he was talking about these shootings that had been caused by these messy divorces and he uses this example he's talking about i'll quote him here one of them was from this big time guy in highland park which is a suburb outside of dallas who went and killed his wife just gunned her down and that was because the judge was unfair and the woman was unfair and she demanded something and he was out and it was frustration good lord so he's saying the guy was right to shoot his wife because she was unfair it I, asking for a divorce i think it, you can certainly read it that way and i mean like i you know once again like pete sessions often tangles his quotes that one seemed kind of clear to me and in, in all fairness like he's done a lot of work on domestic violence issues and the like, like you know he has done some stuff even before this was like the hot issue for especially for republicans but that one was a real yeah. uh, that was baffling to me honestly uh, even so, and i've known sessions for for almost a decade now and i really was scratching my head on that and, so did you reach out to him and what what's his oh yeah response? so so what what i did was so that this this conservative activist who posted this video it's like a six yeah. minute video of this long obviously much longer session and it's cut up and so there's some weird cross some weird fades not during that quote but like during other parts where he also said some other curious things uh so i, I reached out to the guys like hey like can I see the full video? I just want to make sure the context is right. right. I'm just curious about the, this. And he, what he told me is like, look, like I, the sessions people asked me not to post this video, the full video. So I, I posted these segments. Let me go check with the sessions office and, and see what I can do. And got back to me a couple of days later. And at this point, like I, I hadn't heard from him, so I wasn't sure I was yeah. going to hear from him. I tried to catch sessions in the hall and, and, and failed. Um, and I think he was just hustling. I'm not sure he knew I was going to ask him about this, although. This guy had yeah. reached out to the office. Um, and he got back to me and said, yeah, they asked me to take the video offline. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, imagine. you know, you, you can hardly blame them given that Pete Sessions is in his first tough re-election fight in about a decade. Uh, but I obviously had downloaded the video already. Yeah. And so, and, you know, I kept asking. I was like, look, give me the full video. Like, like all you have to do is clear this yeah. guy so I could watch the full thing, and they seem really unwilling to do that. And my curiosity, I'm, I'm curious what else might have been on that video, honestly, but I, you know, have no idea. Um, but this particular quote was yeah. baffling, right. to say the least, and especially from you know a guy who's this isn't like some random congressman. You always get some wingnuts no, in both no. parties yeah. who say, I, I mean, this is the head of the House Rules Committee. Yeah. He yeah. is the guy who run essentially runs the floor. He decides what is going to be voted on and is kind of the major behind the scenes power player in the party. And um, yeah, this this surprised me to find. Uh, OK, just a couple of minutes left here. I, I, I love to get, I want to get your take. You've been out on the road and you cover the White House. And what we saw um, Tuesday night, was it whenever Donald Trump was down in Tampa, um, the mobs, the crowd. You know, uh, going up to the press pool. Yeah. You know, with really threats of violence, flipping the bird. I mean, and just it's just really, really ugly. Jim Acosta yeah. uh, videotaped a lot of that and, and put it up there. Are you concerned about? And we saw it started during the campaign, right? 
um, where some organizations even hired security guards to accompany their reporters to, to Trump yeah. rallies. Are you concerned about this? Is this something that keeps that seems to be growing we haven't seen before? I don't know how much it's growing. Honestly, like I was on the campaign trail with Trump in 2015, 2016, where we were getting screamed at, and I, I know people who got spat at and um, threatened and the death threats for reporters and people getting doxxed and their their home addresses being yeah, put on the internet right. and you know some of it's hard to untangle some of that was russian stuff and mm-hmm. some of that was legitimate trump supporters i mean i i was photoshopped into a you know that there there's a, a right wing meme that was going around of Trump in an SS uniform about to push the button with a gas chamber and then a person in the gas chamber and like they were just photoshopping different people's photos in that and I was one of the people who got photoshopped into one of those so like really this is nothing Whoa. new yeah. you know and, and and that one I actually have a hunch that that might have been a Russian fuel yeah. thing yeah. but certainly got picked up in some of the very far You're concerned far it could right. lead to violence against some reporters yes absolutely I mean we've been worried about that from months ago uh years ago i mean like i remember being warned you know hey you're going to like a rally in a very gun happy conservative rural part of georgia take off your press badge if you're walking alone like don't be obvious um by somebody who was like a republican down there who was not not supporting trump all right keep yourself safe cam thanks so much for coming in it's talkingpointsmemo.com have a great thursday folks see you tomorrow the bill press show